Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Caroline Savini. She's a partner at Nolan Partners as well as an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Caroline is an executive headhunter. I think the words that were that's the word we've uh, or the phrase we've used throughout the episode for the sports industry. It is extremely interesting to hear how Caroline was able to develop her relationships, create her network, and then help these teams and these leagues help just secure some of the most coveted positions in all of sports. It was so, so, so interesting. So please, without further ado, enjoy this episode with Caroline Savini. Today, my special guest, Caroline Savini, partner at Nolan Partners, adjunct professor at Georgetown University, keynote speaker on career management, interviewing hiring practices. Caroline, thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Good morning, Michael. It's nice to see you. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you to Amy, Amy Sheridan. If you haven't listened to her episode, make sure to go back, listen to that little shameless plug there from me. But Caroline, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? <laughs> why do I love, why does anybody love sports so much? Um, it, it, I think it is the, um, the, the way sports brings people together. Um, I mean, personally for me, I was an athlete myself um, since the age of seven and uh, a competitive athlete as a, as a swimmer. Um, so I, I swam in college, the University of Pittsburgh, and, um, and it was actually there that I, I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in sports. Um, during my time there, I worked in the athletic department. I was a, I was a tutor. I, was a, I worked in the marketing department, uh, marketing and licensing, actually helped develop the website Ooh. for the University of Pittsburgh athletic department. This is uh, how long ago? Was we don't have college? to. No, 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 no. You don't have to say that. We'll all just assume and we'll go on from there. How's that sound? Yeah, yeah. My youthful glow uh, helps me here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I uh, did a lot of work in the athletic department and volunteering, and um, uh, just as a as a when I was competing at the NCAA championships, I just had this sort of epiphany and this moment of clarity when I realized that I could work in this industry, that I didn't have to leave sports, that I could dedicate my life to sports. And, and at the time I was focused on college athletics. That is really cool. I mean, I, I like the opportunity for people to work in sports is so broad and it's so expansive. You know, so many people think if you don't work at ESPN, what are you doing? Uh, but there's just so many opportunities within the industry. And I'm really grateful I get to have you on today to talk about executive search um, and exactly what that is and how it works. But definitely. Uh, so I guess, you know, you said you wanted to work in sports and, you know, you were in marketing, you were in licensing, you were a tutor. And I, I saw that your first position actually was with the Memphis Tigers, which is pretty darn cool. What were you willing to take any position right out of school and just say, Hey, I just want to get in the industry and see what happens. Or was there a specific route you were trying to take? Yeah. Well, so my, my path was such that I went to Ohio university sports administration for grad school. And that was a, and still is a dual degree program where you can get your MBA and your master's in sports administration. Um, and at the time, a, uh, a colleague of mine, um, mentor, boss at the University of Pittsburgh in the athletic department had told me that um, Ohio University is like the Harvard for sports administration. And if I can get into OU for grad school, um, then my, my career trajectory will be set. <laughs> um, the o OU has a lot of alumni in uh, college athletics and across all of uh, sports and entertainment, but college athletics in particular. And um, when I was in college, I, I thought I wanted to work in sports and college athletics specifically. Um, but about six months into the program, I had an assignment that was to conduct an informational interview of 
several alumni that were in roles that I thought I wanted to be in. And so I interviewed a couple of athletic directors and one in particular, basically discouraged me from um, the career path of being a college AD. And, um, and, and that conversation had several effects on me. One, um, my initial reaction was, you, don't, you hardly know me. How could you tell me what, uh, what I should do in my career, which was that he was, like I said, discouraging me from being mm -hmm. an AD, that I, I wouldn't want to be an AD. And, and quite honestly, at the time, it was a bit sexist because um, his comment was, my senior woman administrator has the best job in college athletics. You don't want to be an AD. You should be an SWA. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, the SWA is a um, is a designation. It's 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 a designation that shouldn't even exist in in the year 2020. Um, quite honestly, I don't even know if it exists anymore. But if it if it does, it should be going away because it's just a designation. There are women athletic directors in 2020, um, quite a few. But um, but but what it did was cause me to stop and think a little bit about what is the day job of a college AD. And, and would I be energized by that or would I be frustrated with it? Um, and as I thought a lot about the, um, the numerous constituents that an AD has to manage and in some respects, please, or um, you're not going to make everybody happy. So mm -hmm. there's many that won't be happy with the decisions that an AD makes. Um, the student athletes, the student population, the academic community, the coaches, the alumni, the, the student athlete alumni, um, you know, so on and so forth. And I, um, and I thought, you know, this is, that's, it's, it's not for me. Um, I, I just like col college athletics is um, probably not quite right. And I, I, what I realized for myself is that my own personal ethos belonged in uh, division three college athletics, but um, I don't mind saying that the, the, the D3 AD is, is um, not handsomely paid. <laughs> What, what was what is it about Division Three that you thought you know kind of aligned more with you? Well, it's it's funny. Um, Twenty years has gone by, and um, and they're still talking about paying college athletes. And today we're talking about name image, image likeness. But um, twenty years ago, there were Senate bills being put forth about paying college athletes. Mm -hmm. And and I so I would call myself a purist. I was of the mind that a um, that a college like to to compete in a sport in college is a privilege, not a right. And, um, and with that privilege comes some benefits, which include a, for the scholarship athletes, a free mm -hmm. education. And um, so again, I, I was a purist <laughs> and, I've, and I was a swimmer. Um, I was a, a highly accomplished swimmer at, at the University of Pittsburgh as well. So I was one of the few um, uh, All-Americans that came out of the University of Pittsburgh and, um, and, and had a great career, but I wasn't a household name in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. or in all of college athletics. So um, I'm, I'm not like the, you know, the, the football players and the basketball players. So putting that argument aside, I myself was a purist and the purists belong in division three athletics where there mm -hmm. are no scholarships. You're like the, the athletics, um, the competition is part of the, the holistic experience of being a college student, mm -hmm. um, not just in some cases, uh, maybe the only experience. Very interesting. That's a yeah, and I don't want to talk about the name image yeah. image likeness. That's a yeah. that's an argument I, we can have. I'm Everybody not well versed in it anyway, so I, yeah, yeah, we don't need to go there. But um, okay. but just I I realize with that that um, that like my my personal um, like like I said my ethos my mm -hmm. values didn't belong in Division One college athletics, and um, I didn't want to work in Division Three college athletics because I. I know how much those athletic directors make financially. And it's mm -hmm. just, uh, it's, you're, you're there yeah. because you love it, not because you want to do well financially. Exactly. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, it, it is what it is that eyeballs drive revenue and revenue drives higher salaries. And unfortunately division three doesn't really get too much in terms of eyeballs, um, right. whether that's right or that is wrong. So I guess where, you know, having that conversation with that gentleman who discouraged you for lack of a better term, as you said, and, and, I guess, brought some things to light that whether you knew they were there or not, you got it firsthand to hear those conversations. Where and how did you make the pivot to executive search? And I guess, why did you make that specific pivot? 
so uh, there's a there's a story of course um Perfect. and <laughs> all the stories let's do it i'm in yeah um so the you mentioned at the start of this podcast that um, that there's a lot of opportunities in sports that's not just ESPN or college athletic directors or presidents or GMs of professional sports teams. Uh, there is there are the sports business has an engine that drives it, and uh, what we see on TV is just one sliver of the engine driving the sports business. So I was introduced to Learfield. Um, in terms of the multimedia rights organizations that were in the in the marketplace at the time, mm -hmm. and and for me it was it was just Learfield as the employer, but I was introduced to Learfield and um, uh, how you can be affiliated with college athletics, but you don't have to work for a college athletic department, and um, and so I spent some time there in a, a sort of sales and you know sales assistant capacity, and um, and I enjoyed it but i um i won't go into too much detail just that part of my experience was me asking myself um do i like this place mm -hmm. um being you know the, the concept of multimedia rights holder and college athletics uh, is this for me and um and i ended up getting introduced to uh, a fellow alumni from ohio university who was looking to hire an executive recruiter and, um, and, and that's Len Perna. And I was, um, the, the pitch made to me to join turnkey search was, um, if, if you're not quite sure about what you want to do in the sports and entertainment industry, uh, go, go be an executive recruiter for a couple of years and you will get this, this viewpoint over all of sports, uh, effectively get your PhD in the sports business because of the time that I spent interviewing executives over the mm -hmm. phone and learning just the intricacies of the business and what looks good and what doesn't look good and, and so on and so forth. So um, I, I just, I did a self-evaluation of um, what, what was important to me in, um, in career challenges and what I was looking for uh, for the next step of my career. And then sort of you know, did a, not a pro and con list, but a, mm -hmm. uh, just sort of the buckets of what I want and what does being an executive recruiter have to offer. And it checked a lot of boxes for me. So, um, so I thought, okay, I'll give this a try. Maybe I'm there for 18 to 36 months. And, um, and then I go on. In fact, that was Len's pitch to me. Um, give me, give me three years and I'll, I'll place you in any job you want in the sports industry. I said, all right, sold. That's a solid and pitch. Who turns that pitch down? <laughs> I mean, that's right. a solid pitch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, what happened was uh, a couple of things. I started a turnkey in March of 2006 and um, two and a half years later, the, the world changed in a different way than it's changed now, but it changed. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I was watching left and right, uh, you know, layoffs occurring and, and downsizing and right sizing or whatever you want to call it. And I, um, but, but simultaneously, I was enjoying what I was doing at Turnkey. And in interviewing people, I always thought, would I want to do this person's job? Or how do I think I would do mm -hmm. this person's job? And um, almost to a T with everyone, I thought, I like my job better than your job. So, um, so I, I just realized that I enjoyed what I was doing and I was constantly challenged by it. And, and what 2008 did for uh, the executive search business um, at, at, at Turnkey and, and frankly what it's doing for what coronavirus is doing for virtually all companies today is effectively right-sizing it and, and gave me the opportunity to, to build, mm -hmm. um, help, help build out that, um, that, that business for Turnkey in a, in a slightly different way. Um, there were nuances with the way Turnkey was structured at the time, mm -hmm. but um, so yeah, say, I love it. ultimately when stayed there for 12 years. That's incredible. And kudos to you for that. Um, staying anywhere for 12 years sounds amazing to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so congratulations. At what point did you stop asking yourself, would I want to do this job? And did you find like, at what point did you stop asking and just be like, no, I, I know I want to do the job I have. I'm not even going to even consider what you're doing anymore. Now I'm just going to go ahead and continue to do what I'm doing. Uh, well, it wasn't so much, would I, do I want this job? Do I like this job? But, um, but the first three months in 
any new job and any mm-hmm. new company is is a learning period. There's a learning curve, and 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 it might be six weeks or four weeks for some people if they've been executives for a long time in the business, or it could be 12 months or 18 months for others. Um, for me, there was about a three month period where I was learning um, how to be a recruiter and what the what the role entailed, and I. Um, I, I was working on a search. It was actually a senior vice president of uh, corporate partnerships, sales, and um, mm-hmm. sponsorship for the WNBA. And I, um, I really wrapped my arms around that search and enjoyed it. And and I had a lot of fun. So for me, it was it was this realization of wow, this is this is kind of fun. I I kind of like this. I, I like talking to people. I like in the case of the WNBA at the time, it was a it was a tough sell. It was absolutely recruiting people to consider mm-hmm. the opportunity, recruiting executives. Um, and I really enjoyed convincing people to consider the role and, um, and ended up being, a, we got a great hire, uh, placed a, a great executive in the role and, and she did very well. Actually, it was catching up with someone not too long ago, pre, pre-coronavirus, but earlier this year. Um, and we were talking about the woman we uh, had placed in the role and she, um, she was commenting, she, this woman I was talking to had worked at the WNBA at the time. She's like one of the best executives I've ever worked with. That's awesome. So, you know, 14 years later, I was going to say (laughs) validation. It takes a little while to get there, but that has to be such a great feeling knowing that, you know, you were able to place someone in a specific spot and that person then was able to affect so many people around them for, for the good, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And so with, with executive search, um, it is a very, you know, recruiting headhunting executive search. I guess there's a couple different ways we could talk about it, but I mean, how much is it, especially just getting into the industry, being relatively young at the time, only, you know, 20 something, I'm assuming, what was it like? I mean, your network couldn't have been gigantic. I know you said you went to Ohio and you were able to kind of lean on that work. And thankfully it was Ohio university and not Ohio state university. That makes it so much better. (laughs) But how are you able to kind we say of, the same thing down in Athens? Love it. What, um, how are you able to kind of lean into that network and, and start to really build your own network? And as well as, you know, I'm assuming there's a lot of cold calling and a lot of, you know, other stuff to be involved there. Mm-hmm. But how did you kind of lean in and, and really start to build that network? So again, as a young person, you can really be confident going out there and saying, no, I think this is the position for you because I, I know you like your trust and, and any of those opportunities. Yeah. So, so the first question, how did I, how did I build my network when I started there? Uh, one of the things that um, Ohio University does very well, the sports administration program. Now I feel like I'm just selling the program, but it, but it is a, it's a fantastic program and I wouldn't be where I am today without having attended uh, OU sports ad. But um, the, the alumni network, uh, the, the program was founded in 1966. And um, so by the time I was there in the early 2000s, um, the, 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 the alumni network, the, we have a directory and mm-hmm. the directory was probably about that thick. Oh. Um, at the time, um, probably over a thousand alumni. I don't know what our alumni base is today, but, um, but over a thousand alumni and, and a, a significant majority of alumni who actually work in the sports business. So mm-hmm. one of the first things that I did when I went to Turnkey was um, I opened up the directory and I emailed every single relevant person, relevant alumni. I didn't email the, retired, mm-hmm. the retirees or um, people that were clearly not working in the business anymore, but I emailed every single alumni um, and, and said, uh, here's where I am. Um, this is what I'm doing. Would, would love to stay connected and let's, let's catch up at your community. So with that, I, um, it, it spawned a lot of conversation with me with, with people that were in the industry and mm-hmm. tapping into them as part of my like immediate network being an OU sports ad alum. Um, they in turn, many of them, and this is how it works and what I do, um, open their networks up to me. What are you working on? What can I help you out with? Um, oh, you should meet this person. You should meet that person and so on and so forth. That's fantastic. And that's just kind of, you know, as, so you just started to kind of spread that, those tentacles, those tree branches further and further out and really just be able to kind of capture people, be a good person, add value to them. And then how, what is it like trying to find candidates for this job? Again, so you have your network, you're now tapping into other people's networks, again, cold calling and doing whatever you need to do on that end. How do you find the right or perfect or you know whatever word you want to use candidate for a job 
especially with something like the WNBA, as you said, because you really had to first sell people, okay, this is something that you want to do. Here you go. You know, do you want to do this? And, and I'm sure you had a list of candidates and I'm sure, you know, it doesn't always work out the way you'd like it to, but I guess, how does that process work? Mm. Um, well, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of, of researching, networking, recruiting, um, pitching an opportunity, it's maybe a little mundane. So I won't go into detail on that, but, but what I, but what I can tell you is, um, so the, a, a general typical search process mm -hmm. will average somewhere between 10 and 12 weeks. And the first four to six weeks of the search process is, uh, recruiting, researching, recruiting, networking, uh, build, building a base of candidates to consider for the search firm to consider, mm -hmm. and then and methodically go through them and interview them for the opportunity. Um, the, the, the second half of the, the search process is really three stages. So the second stage is um, presenting candidate recommendations to our client. Mm -hmm. And, and then um, the, the final stage is helping the client and the candidates uh, basically form a happy marriage. Mm -hmm. And in order, to, and it's the marriage is, is the best analogy for, um, for introducing a, uh, an employee to a potential, a potential employee to a potential employer. Um, in that, like, if there's not a culture fit, and if there's not good chemistry, um, it, it will never work. And, and that's actually, I, I love the whole life cycle of the executive search process from, from the recruiting to the consulting with the clients on the candidates to the helping that final stage um, come to a, a happy conclusion, which is job offer that a candidate is excited about and the employer also feels like they're, they're getting the best bang for their buck. Hoorah, let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, with that, you know, again, it's not like you're, you are search executive search. So you're, you're looking for very high level jobs, high level people. So I'm assuming those pools are not as big as if it was a more regular job. I don't know exactly how you like to say it in the a business. Mid-level mid or lower mid level. level. Yeah. Thank you. That, that sounds level, a lot yeah. nicer. You're right. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I like, like with those pools not being so big with the sports industry being very, especially in the beginning, I don't know how it is towards the end, especially when we get the executive level, but being very uh, transient, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. nomadic, you kind of have to mm -hmm. move around to get to where you want to get to. How do you make sure that someone, if you're uprooting them and their family to go somewhere else, or if they are, you know, coming into a position, but you can see a track record of every three years, they're going somewhere else. How do you kind of take that into consideration when talking with the client, when talking with the, the potential candidates for, a, again, a high level position, like the ones that you deal with? Sure. Um, so a couple of things to note on that. I'd say college athletics is fairly transient. Um, okay. There's there's a lot of um, people in college athletics where if you want to be able to move up, you have to move out. Um, professional sports, somewhat transient. Um, the media, general media entertainment, it can kind of depend because New York, Chicago, New York, LA, and then maybe Chicago are, are sort of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hubs for the entertainment side of sports media and entertainment. So if, if somebody lives in and is from the New York market or the LA market, there's a good chance that they don't, they can spend their entire career in that market. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no uprooting. Um, if, if there's an executive in say um, St. Paul, Minnesota that wants to work their entire career in sports and doesn't want to relocate and they do a very specific thing, then um, you can probably count on one hand how many career opportunities there are in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, so if one wants to move up more quickly, then chances are they'll have to move out, out of the market. And, and in some cases for me, it's just, educating people on that fact. Um, hey, your opportunities are limited in your market. Are you willing to relocate? And, um, and, and a lot of times people will say, I'm absolutely, yes, I'm willing to relocate for the right opportunity. Um, uh, other people might say, if, if it's the opportunity of a lifetime, I would consider relocation. And, um, and then some people just say, I, I, I just can't relocate mm -hmm. because of family or what have you. Um, so I'll, gi I'll give you an example. Um, everybody is different. So somebody that's been in one market for two years um, or in one role for two years or with one organization for two years, um, I personally, the way my style is um, 
if if it's the opportunity of a lifetime and I believe that this person is the perfect candidate, um, then I would probably take extra time to mm-hmm. convince them that this is a great move. But um, but I take an approach where like the my clients, I get paid by the organizations that are hiring. So companies are my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, candidates can become clients. And I, I take the long view with how one treats a candidate. And, and there have been several occasions where I have, um, when I listen to what somebody's career interests are or um, where they want to go or what they're doing or what, what the projects that they have at their current, current organization, um, there have been several occasions um, many, in fact, where I've said to somebody, you know what, this is this probably isn't the right opportunity for you, or this isn't the right time for you. You'd be better off, um, better suited for your resume to to spend another couple mm-hmm. of years at your current company, get through those projects, um, put those accomplishments on your resume, and then let's talk. Um, but but the example I, I'd, I'd like to give is I did a, um, a chief revenue officer search for the new MLS team in St. Louis. And um, Dennis Moore is the executive that I placed in St. Louis. And Dennis had spent his career, uh, or not his entire career, but 16 years of his 20, 25 year career at, at the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and in the case of Dennis, I um, really encouraged him his initial reaction was eh, i don't i don't know that this is the right opportunity for me in fact i just say generally speaking a trend in in sports that i've observed is um mls is becoming a much higher profile, having much higher mm-hmm. profile in the sort of hierarchy and perception of hierarchy in professional sports. Um, but um, there are some great opportunities in MLS at that C-level, chief business officer, chief operating officer, um, chief revenue officer, that um, some executives at, outside of soccer um, sometimes perceive it as a mm, step down, not mm-hmm. the right move. Is that big enough for me? And, and so forth. But, um, you know, bringing this conversation full circle on the example, uh, I, I've known Dennis for a long time and I, I know my client um, and I recognize the two of them as being a tremendous culture fit with each other. And I had said to Dennis, Dennis, if you um, like, trust me, stay in this process, meet these people, um, this will be a tremendous opportunity for you. And I explained to him why. Um, but, but most importantly, this is a place where you can, you know, uproot your family from Denver, go to St. Louis, and this, this could be the last job you ever have or ever mm-hmm. want, um, because these are great, great ownership group, great people, and um, and a tremendous opportunity to experience because of the trajectory of that franchise, which is build a new stadium, hire up the staff, be employee number three, two, three, four, something like that outside of the ownership level, Mm -hmm. um, the founder level. And, um, and he's probably three months in now and, um, Drinking from the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But, uh, but I think loving, loving every minute of it. That's awesome. And that's so cool because, again, it goes back to those relationships that you've been able to build. This gentleman, as you said, was at the Broncos for 15 or 16 years. You know, what's someone in your position, it's, it's interesting to hear how, you know, this guy has been rooted in the ground at a great place for a very long time, but you still took the time to know him. You still took the time to understand who he is and what he wants. So that way, when this opportunity with St. Louis, I don't what's the name of the team, St. Louis? Uh, they, I don't think they have an official Oh, they don't even have, so okay, like cool. ML, uh, St. Louis for the Lou is what they're oh, doing okay. for now. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so like that, that opportunity comes about and this relationship that you've been able to build over a very long period of time, it seems like with someone who was somewhere probably very happy 15 years, you showed them the opportunity on, hey, maybe you can get a little happier, which I think is awesome. And again, it just is a testament to you understanding how to build relationships and what to build those relationships on. You're not just reaching out to someone saying, you should come over here because they're paying me. It's no, I want to build a relationship with you because you know, I'm down the road, you never know what'll happen. And you know, there may be another opportunity. So, so the St. Louis is probably very happy with you, but the Denver Broncos... Now, are they going to be super? So, like, how does that dynamic work again? Because you can eventually work for the Broncos. Like, I don't know if there there's any animosity from you, or like, how does that part of it work? Well, I, I mean, so the first 
and maybe point not I'll this make specific is, example. Yeah. Maybe well, not no, this but specific like, it's, example. It's a good example to bring up. Like it, um, it, it well, if, if I had, um, 10 different clients and mm. I recruited all of my candidates from the, uh, that, that ended up accepting yes. these job offers for these 10 different clients from the Denver Broncos, then yeah, they would be, They'd probably be pretty uh, angry. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm not asking them for permission. That's, um, mm-hmm. that's one of the, why one of the monikers of a, of an executive search consultant is a headhunter. You know, mm-hmm. we, we take talent from one organization and pull, rip them out and take them somewhere else. Um, but, um, yeah, the, 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 I'd say one, one point that I, I, I do think it's, it's important to make here, and this is speaking more to the people that are considering, um, uh, you know, their next job opportunity mm-hmm. or career move. A, a lot of, a lot of people in the sports industry in particular, uh, like what's awesome about the sports industry is it feels a bit like family. Um, uh, outside of the media companies, it, it hasn't, hasn't been, hadn't been overly corporate. It's becoming more corporate and much more structured, less Mm -hmm. mom and pop um, as ownership groups have changed over the years and how a lot of these professional sports organizations are operating. Um, But for a long time, it, um, it, it, many of these sports organizations have felt like family, even in a college athletic department. I mean, most people know, like you go to work and you generally spend more time with your work colleagues than you do with your own family. Um, So, what what happens is this feeling of um, loyalty that is um, that that many many employees have, um, and and I respect that I I get that, um, but at the same time, <clears throat> where we we would find this now in the era of a global pandemic, where loyal loyal or not, family or not. Um, we still work in businesses mm-hmm. and a decision, the right decision for the business may not be the right decision for the individual. And, um, and so if the organization needs to change their strategy, it may involve getting rid of, of somebody mm-hmm. that's been with that organization for 15 or 20 years. And it's nothing personal. It's just business. Right. Um, so what a lot of people don't recognize is they feel so th- this loyalty to their boss or to their um, their owner or their ownership group, and uh, like I and say like I could I could never leave I can't imagine leaving like what would they do without me, um, you know, back to your question about what it, what would the Denver Broncos think it actually gives them an opportunity to take another look at their the structure mm-hmm. of their business. Um, or because Dennis had been with that organization for so long and his salary was at X, maybe we have, or Y, maybe we have the opportunity to take that, um, promote mm-hmm. someone from within or take that salary that he had and, and reduce it a little bit an opportunity to save a little money. Um, there's a lot of different things that, that can happen. It's not necessarily a bad thing for an organization to, mm-hmm. to lose top talent. It's bad if they're not prepared for it. <laughs> and ah, many, many go. aren't, right? Many aren't. There we go. Yeah, I love it. And I apologize if I threw you a curveball. That was just something that I was like, I'm kind of curious. How does the other yeah, organization sure. feel if they lose somebody? No, no, it's, it's a valid question. Yeah. It's a great question. And, and, and yes. any would go to the, well, of course they would be mad. Um, it's inconvenient to lose someone, especially mm-hmm. if you're not expecting it. But, uh, but that puts more of the onus on the, um, the leadership team and, and HR to develop a succession plan that, that may not have been in place before. And succession planning may also be for whenever this position becomes available, mm-hmm. we should go external. Let's bring in some new thoughts, new ideas, new experience into our organization. And that makes sense. I'm sure John Elway is going to be just fine. I'm not worried about him at all. <laughs> so during your time at Turnkey, you also become became an adjunct professor. I have written down Georgetown and Temple. Um, yep. Georgetown, awesome. Not a huge fan of Philly personally. I'm just from <laughs> New Jersey, so that is what it is. But congrats on Temple as well. So first, I want to say thank you. Uh, I really love teachers and I appreciate shaping the youth and, you know, I have a good friend who's a teacher. So thank you for what you did, but I guess what made you want to become a professor in some capacity? Well, I like my origin story. It all goes back to uh, Ohio university after, after college athletics and my time in college athletics, everything is uh, uh, OU. So mm-hmm. um, every year since I've graduated from Ohio university, I have gone back to campus at OU and I've lectured to the students or done a workshop for the students, mm-hmm. grad, grad students. So my, my focus and preference is grad students as opposed to undergrads. 
And that's what I do with Georgetown. But, um, <clears throat> but Georgetown ended up happening because I was a, um, I developed a, a career workshop for the Ohio University grad students and the um, Georgetown Sport Industry Management Program was relatively new. And, um, and I was introduced to the, um, the, the founder of that program, the, the former executive director of that program. And, um, and I told him about what I was doing with, um, with Ohio University. I said, if your, your students could, could use something like this, this is a critical component of preparing um, sports want to be executives mm-hmm. for the workforce. And um, like, let's, let's talk about what could be done. So he first invited me to sit on an HR panel um, for the, the grad students. And I did that. And um, I think it's like the next semester, uh, he said, hey, there's an opportunity here. Let's, um, let's, let's talk about a, a course to create. And that was in 2011. So I've been there ever since. That's awesome. And yeah, again, yeah. thank you. I think it's great. Um, I think it's very important to give back, especially, you know, with all your knowledge and experience. And again, I appreciate you coming on here to share just some of the stories. I'm sure we could talk all day. Uh, but you know, I know you do have a lot of work to do. So we we'll only a couple more minutes, I promise. But <laughs> sure. again, I, I think that's fantastic. How, how fulfilling is it to be able to kind of take all this information that you've been able to gain? Uh, I'm sure you help people within your organization as well. But how cool is it to then just be able to give it to younger students uh, as you were essentially given some of that information from some of those people that you interviewed and, and the professors that you had over your time? Oh, well, the, the most fulfilling um, part of it for me is when students come back um, or contact me, email me, call me, whatever, and say, um, your, your course changed my, <laughs> this will sound so good, changed my life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what year is have, it again? I'm sorry. Where are we right now? We have a, uh, we have a, uh, <laughs> we, I have a uh, speaker system throughout my house. So, uh, love it. My, um, the person watching my children right now has turned on this. They're doing a dance party probably in the downstairs pattern. <laughs> Completely respect that. Always need a good dance party, especially at 9:30 in the morning. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, I can turn it down, but they're. We're good. We're good. All right. (laughs) Um, So yeah, liven up the this podcast. Uh, Where was I? I? We're doing Um, a good job. Come on, I think we're doing a pretty darn good job. (laughs) No, No, I kid. Uh, Where were you? Uh, Talking about people, literally changing people's lives. Well, just thank, thank. You know, it's it's the first step that sets someone on their path for their career. And um, part of the the curriculum for the course is an exercise and an assignment that is geared to do just that. And and some students take it very seriously, and some some don't. Um, but uh, but the ones that take it very seriously, they uh, it that the assign several assignments, but one in particular um, is what enables a lot of these students to uh, get their first jobs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so a lot of times they say, if it weren't for you and if it weren't for that assignment, I wouldn't be where I am today. What is that assignment very quickly, just out of curiosity? <laughs> sure. You have to uh, become a Georgetown Sim student too. To, oh, okay. To, to maybe, maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe, maybe we'll kidding. pause there. And do you have like an online course people can start to take? Well, actually, it's, we've gone exclusively online with the course um, and it's been uh, easy with the coronavirus, but um, been doing it exclusively online mm-hmm. since 2018 but i know I'll, I'll tell you the answer it's 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 not a secret um so there is a there's an assignment which is which frankly um built off of the assignment that i did when i was in grad school of um doing informational interviews and people that were in um jobs mm-hmm. that i thought i wanted to have and it's a little bit more structured but the sort of the bottom line is uh to conduct uh, at least five informational interviews um of an executive and uh and go into those informational interviews prepared with questions it's not for you to ask them for a job but it's learn to learn more about their careers mm-hmm. and um and the heart of it is to start to build your own network and and take people out of their comfort zone to build their own network because a lot of folks um young people uh are can find it very uncomfortable to do that man it's like i've been doing that for like the last three months i guess i completed your assignment how's that sound <laughs> there you I go. Love it. um <clears throat> so after after turnkey 
uh, again, you became you became a professor during that time, and then you actually became a full time mom for a year. Kudos and congrats to you. What was? Well, I, I'm still oh. a full time mom, but well, of course. Oh, uh, but in addition to having a day, I apologize. <laughs> yes, okay. I apologize. Please, yeah, I'm still yeah. not perfect. I'm not Katie Kirik yet. <laughs> no, I'll get there no, 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 it's, it's, it's all good. Um, all good. So you left Turkey, um, and became a full-time mom as in you know not working anymore i don't know how do i say this without say, you know like, stay at home know. mom yeah stay at home mom i don't know i always feel bad i don't want to say the wrong thing especially on this something like this no no, no 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 what was what was the reason for uh leaving that position was it something external internal or were you just like you know i kind of want to not have to deal with this for a year what was i guess you know the reason to kind of step away for a minute yeah so um i'd say you 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 commented on this, um, you know, 12, 12 years is a long time at, at any place. Um, and I loved the people I worked with. Um, I loved what I did. And, um, and I, I left <clears throat> as I was um, getting ready to deliver my second child. So I'd already been through, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, first kid, maternity leave, and then back to work. And, and quite honestly, it wasn't so much the back to work that, that bothered me because I, I, loved being a working mom. Um, it was just the amount of time. Um, so what I joke about is ultimately what I did was I took my like Canadian or UK maternity leave. Um, and this is also not a, a, like a political conversation to talk about how long maternity leave should be in this country, but three months is definitely, um, most moms would probably agree. Three months is not nearly enough, whether it's a, a mom that gave birth to a child themselves or adopted a, a child, it, uh, so what I found myself doing as I was staring down my, um, my due date uh, was thinking, I, rather than three months, you know, it's, it's 12 weeks, right? It doesn't actually amount to three months. But rather than three months, I think I might ask for four. Eh, four is not enough. He's not, they won't be sleeping by then, sleeping through the night. Uh, maybe you should ask for five. Well, eh, five, like, you know, six months is about the sweet spot. They, the babies, they, they may start mm-hmm. sleeping through the night by then. And that's what it comes down to. Um, the... The, the breastfeeding, the, the mm-hmm. are they sleeping, um, you know, just the un, unbelievable lack of sleep. Uh, you can never prepare yourself for that until you're in it. But, um, but that, and I just decided, you know, it's not fair for me to ask for that much time because it was a small company and um, I, I should just, I should just mm-hmm. take a step back and 12 years is a long time. I've done great things. Um, I, I'm going to just bet on myself. I knew I wouldn't be out of work Mm -hmm. or out very long. I just didn't know what I wanted to do next. And, um, it was just a great time for me to focus on my family. Kudos to you. I, um, I'm not going to sit here and say how long maternity leave should be because I clearly will never, ever have to um, <laughs> do any of that. Thankfully, uh, if you're telling me six months before I can start sleeping again, maybe I'll never have to worry about any of that ever because that one I might try and push that off as long as I possibly can. <laughs> but no, I, I think, you know, again, congratulations to you. As you said, 12 years is a very long time. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, and I, I like the way you thought about it. It's a small company. You kind of feel bad asking for that much time off. So you know what? take a step away, you know, let, let the dust settle for lack of a better term, kind of see what's out there. So what was it, you know, now, you know, 40, whatever minutes in the conversation, we finally get to your current position, but we've kind of talked about the executive head yeah, hunting yeah. and search the whole time, but what was it about Nolan partners that when they came to you or did, how does do executive headhunters search or executive headhunters how does that whole process actually exactly how they they came to me yeah they got you i figured it out i got the business yeah one of one of those one of their recruiters recruited me um so the uh the the what what drew me to um nolan partners outside of the initial recruitment process being intrigued i i I had heard of the firm when i was at turnkey Mm -hmm. and um and I was also finding this trend with with clients, whether this was true or not. Some some prospective clients would would tell t- me when I was at Turnkey, we're we've decided to go with a different firm. Uh, we want a global firm with a global footprint and a global perspective. So global, global, global was the um, sort of the mantra of mm-hmm. prospective clients. Now, you know, whether that was true or not, who knows? But. Um, <clears throat> But uh, but I liked so the Nolan Partners is um, was founded in two thousand five two thousand six by a um, 
uh, former HR, head of HR for the English Football Association. And he had been in, um, they call it, we say Fortune 500, they say FTSE 250 companies um, in HR in his career mm -hmm. prior. And, um, and Turnkey was founded by a, um, a former sports business executive who, um, more of a business operator, marketer, sales executive. And, um, and I, I liked the, um, I like the, the differences between the two. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so like, I wouldn't have uh, gone to do executive search and work for a founder who had also had the same resume as Len Perna um, because I'd already been there and done that. Mm -hmm. um, but I like the idea of going to work with a global firm, um, work with clients all around the world and, um, and just have a just different vantage point of, uh, you know how, how a search process should be managed and um, and how to mm -hmm. how to sell our services yeah. to clients. Yeah, and I think it's funny. You know, it's always, you always hear about it. You know, a salesman trying to sell something to a salesman. I'm curious what the recruiting process was like for <laughs> uh, you know an executive recruiter like yourself who had so many years in the business. Um, so how you know understanding that the you know the the people that were there and how they did it and that global opportunity that sounds like it was very important to you. All of those aspects were important to you. How has that panned out over the last few months? And how as now is obviously just super weird and what's going on. But you know, yeah. what was it like, especially when you, you know, came on how, you know, you say global company, how many of these opportunities are you actually searching in Europe, searching in Asia to try and fill a position over here for an MLB team's vice president of XYZ? How often does that happen? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it depends. Um, the, the search process, uh, sometimes our clients are very specific. We would like to see candidates from fill in the mm -hmm. blank, um, this type of organization, uh, this type of um, uh, like resume mm -hmm. experience, which may include global. Um, so like, was, were we considering international candidates for the CRO role of St. Louis MLS? No, no. Um, but, um, but, but there may be other assignments where we would do that in, in North America. Um, oftentimes it goes, it does go the other way. So uh, candidates for clients in, in Europe, Middle East Asia um, that come from North America. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we, yeah, kind of play, play both sides. That makes I, sense. yeah. Um, I will tell you that one of the most intriguing things for me was even though I, when I was at turnkey, I had heard of Nolan partners. I'd only just heard of Nolan partners. It's sort of, um, it came into the market right as I was uh, nearing the end of my tenure at turnkey. And, um, when they recruited me to join them, um, their, their comment to me was we're, we're building our practice in North America and, um, and you, you, you did this for 12 years. We'd, we'd like you to come help build this practice in North America. That's so cool. What's it like being the head of a continent? Like that's gotta be <laughs> just like a cool way of saying, I know you laugh, but like legitimately, like, yeah. does that mean, I, I assume you have people that help you and this is not a solo gig, but like, what is it like, does that mean? any properties and or any of your clients, which are the, the sports teams here in the United States, that you pretty much are the head of that project, essentially? Yeah, well, ultimately responsible for them all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but any, any good leader will tell you that they, um, it, they're not a good leader if they're not surrounded by great people. Of course. Um, so that's I, I, there's a, we have a great team. And so team. I guess, do you have any maybe just quick stories of some of the teams that we might know and love a little bit? Um, I mean, I mentioned St. Louis, which is a team that um, doesn't exist yet, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, truly, other than that, the, the, some of our clients are confidential. Okay. Um, so I get that. I get that. Yeah. I'll skip that question then. No yeah. worries. And then what, um, what's different this time around? Like with this uh, new position, new, con same continent, new, yeah. I guess, new, like, what are you, are you, looking at it differently are you looking at your network differently are you looking at your clients differently especially by taking that year again i don't like saying taking the year off but taking that stepping yeah. away for that year did that sure. help reset or, or give you new perspective learn any new information that now you're doing differently this time around um well so i'd say the short answer is yes um but to get specific it'd be hard for me to articulate but what i can say is um uh for me, there's been a very enlightening difference between um, the, the, the experience of 
uh, our clients with Nolan Partners, so mm -hmm. what we delivered to them um, versus what was delivered by by Turnkey, and um, and and where Turnkey is now a competitor to to Nolan Partners, I. Um, Turnkey has great people. Mm -hmm. um, I Len Len Perna. I still call him a, a mentor of mine. Um, he's a, he is a good man. Um, so you know, just just different. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. different is in fact better. Um, different isn't always better. But I I'm, I now find myself quite biased that um, it, Nolan Partners has a tremendous process. So what a client experience is when they work with Nolan Partners mm -hmm. is um, just a, a, a level above. I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, obviously you've been able to, again, amass this entire network and build all these relationships. What is it like when you go back to some of these relationships? So I was a financial advisor for a couple of minutes, hated every second of it. So I'm never going to ever do that again. But it was always interesting to see people switch firms and then try and, you know, kind of, you know, oh, hey, I'm over here. Like, I assume there's not too much of that because if there is a position that opens up, but how much do you, I guess, divulge or, or let your network know and the people that you talk to? And, you know, as you said with the gentleman, Dennis, I think his name was that you've known for however long, you know, how do you go about that conversation, I guess, the second time around? Is there anything different? Well, <clears throat> so there's two different, um, like, sort of recipients of me. I've got mm -hmm. the clients and then the candidates. Mm -hmm. The candidates don't care. It makes no difference yeah. to them. Um, they want to know all, uh, yeah. everybody on my team and everybody at my competitors. Um, but the clients, um, for, for them, it's about just educating them on the, the, mm -hmm. the Nolan Partners process and... Um, and what makes us different and mm -hmm. and all the the clients that i've worked with uh have were former clients of mine and so all the clients that i work with since joining nolan partners were former clients of mine at turnkey clearly you're doing something right and what are last question <laughs> what are some of the future accomplishments that you're looking towards obviously you've been able to do so much um in an extensive period of time you know almost 13 years in the business if not 13 what, what are some of the things that you're looking for? Is there a specific position that you've never been able to fill that you're like, man, I would really love to get the CEO of a NFL team or something like, I don't know. Is there anything, you know, fun or cute like that? Uh, well, fun or cute. <laughs> um, it, well, I would say it's more about, um, it's not about the, the, the clients, but just positioning Nolan Partners as the, the premier executive search firm to the sports and entertainment industry. Um, we we uh, don't sorry don't just work with um, and and recruit candidates from within the industry. We we have a very thorough process of going um, <clears throat> sort of ancillary industries and outside the market. So um, I think one of the things we're most proud of Dennis Dennis Moore aside because he's not a great example he came from within the industry but um, is is sourcing candidates from uh, ancillary businesses mm -hmm. yeah. um, that that never worked in sports before that's awesome and, and placing them, them in the industry yeah and get them their dream job because I'm sure they would have much <laughs> rather work in sports so Caroline this was awesome Caroline Savini partner at Nolan Partners adjunct professor at Georgetown University keynote speaker really appreciate your time today that was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Caroline. As I said, really, really cool how she's been able to do what she's done. And again, work with some of the highest people in all of sports doing her job just has to be so incredible. So thank you to Caroline for coming on. Please make sure to follow her on all of her socials. Everything is in the show notes. And please make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening. Very, very preferably if it's on iTunes and Apple because that's where I see most of the numbers coming from. So thank you all so much. I appreciate your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So thank you for giving me some of yours. And I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.